In the summer of 1899, the United States was panic-stricken. Held in the thrall of a flying insect whose bite afflicted scores of Americans. But did it ever even exist? Hysteria ensues in episode 31, The Kissing Bug. once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. First things first, this episode's a little different than the other ones so far. Um, the s- sources aren't in the description like I usually have them. This was something I had written a, l- a while ago, and it was an episode I was planning on doing anyway. And I figured, you know, why rewrite what I already have? So I'm using that for my script. So I don't have the sources written down. I mean, I have what newspapers they were from, but not what the article titles were. I mean, most of them are just called The Kissing Bug Comes to X. The year 1899 was a troubled time. The Spanish-American War had given way to the Philippine-American War in April. Rumblings were beginning to be felt of the Second Boer War, which would eventually culminate in the addition of South Africa to the British Empire. And in France, scapegoated traitor Alfred Dreyfus enjoyed a brief period of freedom before he was again imprisoned. Anti-Semitism and a contentious relationship between France and Germany seethed and bubbled beneath the surface, setting the stage for battles to come in the next century. These tensions, worries, and fears may each have played their part in the development of a unique and problematic hysteria that gripped the United States. I've managed to find no reports of the panic from foreign lands, and in fact nary a mention in the foreign press in the summer of 1899, the so-called kissing bug. The panic, so named because the titular insect was reputed to oftentimes bite its victims on the lips, although the hand or eyelid was also a common spot for the bite, is by definition one of the most Fortean phenomena, as it was one of those discussed by Charles Fort in his quadrilogy of Chronicles of the Unexplained, more specifically in 1932's Wild Talents. Fort cited only a handful of cases from the populated centers of the East Coast. The ensuing hysteria was revisited only rarely in the literature of the bazaar since that time, most significantly in Hilary Evans and Robert Bartholomew's 2009 book, Outbreak, the Encyclopedia of Extraordinary Social Behavior, which, by the way, I wholeheartedly recommend to anyone interested in the effects of mass hysteria. 
Evans and Bartholomew cite it mainly the same cases discussed in Fort, however. Something that has been lacking in the literature is a sense of just how mass the hysteria really was, spanning the entire United States from coast to coast. But at the same time it was a hysteria, the stories of the kissing bug, I think, were based on very real insects. Countless tales of bugs captured came in that summer. Many are consistent with each other. And of course, the effects of being bitten were markedly consistent with each other as well. The tale formally starts over a period of a few days in June. A Washington, D.C. crime reporter, James F. McElhone, had been monitoring reports from city hospitals of anomalous admissions. A number of individuals found themselves in the morning to have lips and eyes swollen, as if from the nocturnal bite of some insect. In a week's time, the stories of the kissing bug had traveled to New York. By the next day, Boston. By July 1st, to Norfolk, Virginia. Stories of the bug's depredations were spreading like wildfire. As early as July 5th, the kissing bug phenomenon was already starting to take root as a full-fledged hysteria. On that date, the New York Times recounted a humorous situation in which some girls were sent into paroxysms of terror after a large insect collided with one of them. They scattered, drew a crowd with their annex. Once clearly seen, however, the offending insect proved only to be a large moth. Fueled by nearly daily news reports, the panic had spread even further afield to Pennsylvania and Delaware. But the bug was still a geographically limited phenomena, outside of a few reports in Redding, California, where Henry Kleinschmidt and Mrs. E.T. Durfor reported being bitten. Stories of encounters with the bug caught on like wildfire, though, after the July 8th death of Helen Lersch, which is one of the cases discussed by Fort. Lersch was a two-year-old girl, the daughter of Frank Lersch of Trenton, New Jersey. She suffered an injury presumed to have been the bite of a kissing bug a few days before death. The swelling resulting from the bite extended to all parts of her body and even to the head. Her arms, head, and face were swollen to almost twice the natural size. On Friday, the child began to vomit, and this continued until death. Helen's mother noticed a red spot on her leg, presumably the spot where she had been bitten, and her swollen arms had turned black. Death records, however, seem to indicate that despite what was widely reported in the press, the girl's name may have actually been Helen Skoronsky, not Lersh. If this was not her, the fact that two separate two-year-old girls, both named Helen, died in Trenton on July 8th is a coincidence that nearly boggles the mind. The death of the Lersh slash Skaronsky girl was, was only the first fatality associated with bites from the bug. Most, but not all, there being an exception to every rule, of course, were young children. Newspapers in Janesville, Wisconsin, reported the death of an unnamed young man in a Madison hospital on July 13th. It was given out at the time that the death was from blood poisoning, although it was really due to the bite of one of these insects on the chin. A Dr. Jackson commented that he believed the kissing bug was largely a humbug, and that the disease is really what is long known among physicians as malignant pustule. 
caused by the bites of flies or other insects which have been feeding on decomposed matter. Malignant pustule, implicated in a handful of other kissing bug cases, almost all from Wisconsin, is actually what is now known as anthrax. On July 19th, six-year-old William Martin of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, died after some sort of bite which caused a purple spot the size of a pinhead just over the lip, surrounded by inflammation, face much swollen. Mary Vaughn of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, died in late July, suffering the effects of a bite she had received around July 9th. Her face was considerably swollen, near unrecognizable, and the swelling had spread to her arms and chest before she died. Another death, attributed to some by the kissing bug, was that of a young boy named Walter Nickerson of Matiawan, New York, who sustained a bite of some sort on his family's farm on August 5th. He died about a week later of what was to all appearances rabies. Physicians were baffled as to the source of his affliction, however, and there was no positive knowledge that the boy was bitten. The boy's father, George, searched the barnyard on August 5th after Walter began to cry, saying that he had been bitten, but found nothing. Spontaneous hydrophobia, as it was known, is a phenomenon described on several occasions in the 19th century, in which patients develop rabies-like symptoms with no apparent bite. One case was reported before the College of Physicians in Philadelphia by Dr. Condy, who reported that a longshoreman named Willits, working at the docks in Southwark, London, awoke on the morning of August 27, 1850, with a numbness and stiffness in his left arm and neck. This was followed by development of hydrophobic symptoms and eventual death. Another case was reported by Dr. Dujardin Beaumets of Paris, who reported the death of a 29-year-old man with symptoms of rabies at the Hotel Dieu. The blood of the deceased man transmitted its infection to a number of rabbits when they were injected with it. The day after Walter Nickerson died, another death attributed to the bug came. Mary Steger, an adult woman from Chicago whose immune system was already somewhat compromised due to a bout of tonsillitis, died from the effects of what was at least claimed to have been a bite she had suffered, a small abrasion on the upper lip. Her face had swelled considerably, but though a physician had signed a death certificate for Mrs. Steger, declaring that the cause of death was the kissing bug's bite in combination with tonsillitis, she had been embalmed before a coroner was called, and so no detailed examination of the body was made, and no definitive blame could be laid on the bite as cause of death. A few weeks after Steger's death, on August 27th, there was one final kissing bug death that of a young girl named Ida Harnishfazer, a re resident of Patterson, New Jersey. Few details about the Harnishfazer death are known, however. But beyond the deaths and other encounters, there were the social effects of the phenomena, beyond the humorous encounter with a large moth described earlier. They ranged from other humorous items. It seemed many newspapermen of the day didn't take the kissing bug very seriously like a brief editorial note in another New York paper, a kissing bug attended an emancipated women's convention in Kansas and committed suicide. Draw your own inferences. 
A newspaper in Philadelphia reported an incident in which a rather cruel young man, jabbing fellow prisoners on board a streetcar with a hat pin, caused the commuters to panic that a kissing bug was flying about in the car. Newspapers in Trenton, New Jersey reported on a case of kissing bug-induced paranoia when a fireman named Nathan Cow, who had reportedly been bitten by one of the insects, was seen patrolling his firehouse with his face and neck swathed in a white cloth and brandishing a rifle with which he swore to slaughter any kissing bug that would presume to attack him or anyone else. Whenever the kissing bug was brought up to Fireman Cow in conversation, he almost took the roof of the house off with a yell of agony the emotion evoked. His gaze was up in the vacant air, no doubt to watch for any winged assailant of that kind. One of the more bizarre effects of the hysteria was the formation of so-called kissing bug clubs. One existed in Lebanon County, Pennsylvania, where on July 6th, Isaac Baver captured one of the bugs and gave it to a man named J. Frank Smith. Smith was the recognized head of a movement looking toward the organization of a society, composed chiefly of young old girls who do not believe the published stories about the bug and are willing that it shall kiss them. It was said that members of the society were to draw lots to determine who had the dubious honor of being bitten. Another group was that formed in LaSalle, Illinois. The group was formed exclusively of young women and the object to acquire one specimen for each member. In nearly every store window is a glass jar with a prisoner, presumed to be a Melanolestes pisipes, and the young women may every afternoon be seen in front of the business places studying the different species. The woods and meadows are scoured by other members for the coveted insects. Melanolestes pisipes was the scientific name given to the kissing bug by many, and although newspapers regularly mentioned that the name was unknown, it is in fact a real insect, and a moderately common one at that. More on that later, however. Several regions were not to be outdone by the kissing bug and created new tales to rival it. During the 1899 panic, Maine farmers told of Sunkhauser flies. A Sunkhauser was a ferocious big fly that infests the flats and meadows about Sunkhauser Deadwater, a place in the Penobscot River. They are four times the size of the famed mosquitoes of Jersey, and any main man will back one of them against a dozen, dozen kissing bugs in a fair stand-up fight. Folks in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, reported encounters with what they called a strangling bug. Frederick Shortland, Edward McAleer, and Robert Taylor were loafing about when Taylor's dog was attacked by some sort of large brown insect. Shortland struck a match and held it near the bug, which left the dog and dashed at the throat of the men. The other two tore the insect off of Shortland's throat. The strangling bug was said to be about two and a half inches in length, brown, with a long pair of pointed claws. But this was far from the only encounter. Philadelphia had been virtually inundated by the bug. Swarms of them were to be seen near street lights and crawling up men's pant legs and down the necks of women and children. A plague of the bugs swarmed around street lights in Doylestown, just north of Philadelphia and J.W. Newman captured one near a local hotel, heavy body and wings, and pointed bill, with which it sucks the blood of its victims. Another one was captured by Thomas Fields, 
warden of the prison and nearby media. When the bug and a mouse were placed in a jar together, the bug in a minute made a sudden dash upon the neck of the mouse, and stung it in such a way as to cause it to keel over dead, the bug hanging on to it and sucking its blood. The strangling bug, it was said, had come to the United States from North Africa. Far from an exotic African import, however, the strangling bug from all descriptions appears to have been none other than the insect colloquially named toe biters or alligator ticks, the giant water bug of family Bellostomatidae. The physical description is quite accurate. Giant water bugs are quite threatening in appearance. They are usually harmless to humans, though like the assassin bugs that were the likeliest identity of the kissing bug, they are capable of delivering a nasty bite if startled. Their bite, in fact, has a reputation as one of the more painful insect bites. They have two clawed appendages with which they grasp prey, biting it with their beak and sucking out the liquefied insides like a spider. Water bugs are known to feed on fish and even small turtles quite routinely. They are known for swarming around streetlights placed too close to the water. For this reason, many fish hatcheries have rules about electric lights in the vicinity of the water, not wanting to attract bugs which may feed on the young fish. In the following years, however, more variations were to follow. In August 1901, residents of Berwick, again in Pennsylvania, reported a new menace, the ankle bug. As its name suggests, it bit people's ankles, and a number of persons have been crippled as the result of its bite. A few years later, Indiana newspapers reported on the emergence of another flying new pest. This pest, however, has taken the eye for the point of attack. The new bug is about the size of a mosquito, has wings very much like one, but the form of its body is more like an ant. He comes when you are asleep. It quietly places a little poisonous acid in the corner of the eye. On awakening, the victim opens his eyelids and allows the poison to run down into his eyes. The eye quickly becomes irritated and swells to an alarming extent. It was called Pulax irritans, which is a scientific name for the common flea. In 1915, Philadelphia, again, was home to something called a dully bug. Vampiric with a predilection for sucking the blood of infants. Because of this, the article continued, the child's health was affected, and the witness was compelled to send the baby away in order to escape the ravages of the insect. Another man, one Richard Ostertog, captured a bug a week later that he claimed was a new species of dually bug. The bug is six inches long, and with the exception of a narrow band of green at the base of its wings, is reddish-brown in collar. The head resembles that of the oft-described but never-seen Jersey Devil. The bug has six legs, each one twice as long as the body. While the size, if accurate, the insect would have been nearly two feet across, is truly ludicrous, a description of its feeding habits, it will grasp a defenseless grasshopper between its two front legs and proceed to chew its head off. Then the body follows suggests some sort of manis, if indeed a real animal at all. Through a bit of a time warp now, back to 1899, a Chicago professor by the name of A.M. Leonard, who called himself the Apostle of the Mission of the Messenger of Truth, 
delivered a sermon in which he passed apocalyptic judgment on the kissing bug. Leonard's sermon rattled off various calamities in the book of Revelation, which he identified with recent events. An excerpt from, Le- from Leonard's sermon is worth repeating. You have all read of this latest mysterious visitation which has come to earth, the so-called kissing bug, which stings men on the lips and leaves them in terrible agony. Here is what I take to be the biblical prophecy of their coming, from the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God upon their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. This is what is said of the coming of the so-called kissing bug in the Bible. This insect which has stung men all over the country, and which is unknown to scientists. Professor Choate of the Field Museum has said that there has never been an instance of the real kissing bug, or Pisipes, which lives in the south, biting a man. What then is this mysterious insect but the visitation of one of the last of those torments which the Bible has declared shall come, and which precedes the final destruction? I regard the appearance of this bug as a final warning to the people of this earth to prepare for the hereafter. So what then was the kissing bug? Real, hysteria, or a combination of both? As already mentioned, the predominant scientific name given to the bug in the press was Melanolestes pisipes. Many experts were consulted who declared this was an invalid name and that there was no such animal. Nothing could be further from the truth, however. Melanolestes pisipes is the fairly common black corsair, a variety of assassin bug. Assassin bugs of the family Reduvidae are members of the Hemitera, or true bugs. They're easily recognizable by a large curved rostrum, a sort of beak or proboscis. Far from the murderous monsters that the kissing bug was made out to be, most assassin bugs are fairly benign, feeding as they do usually on bed bugs. Assassin bug nymphs are often found under beds, and anywhere else their preferred prey would be hiding. However, Professor Choate's statement, quoted in Leonard's sermon, is simply untrue as well. Although not aggressive, and not actively seeking out humans to bite, almost all assassin bugs, tellingly they're often referred to as kissing bugs, will bite when they feel threatened. For example, if someone brushes one while sleeping, or swats at one. Dr. W.J. Holland of the Carnegie Institute in Pittsburgh felt that the kissing bug was a bombardier beetle, which is any one of a species of ground-dwelling beetles, which can expel a gout of chemical irritant from its abdomen. Holland said it was unlikely to kill anyone, but that the circumstances under which such a thing might happen are when the, bl- when the poison is thrown upon a scratch or some abrasion of the skin, and so gain access to the system, causing blood poisoning. Aside from one instance, in which a stray cat in San Jose, California, died after picking a supposed kissing bug up in its mouth, and the sketch of the bug makes it resemble one of these beetles far more than an assassin bug. The, the Bombardier beetle identity really doesn't hold up very well. 
Throughout the Panic of 1899, people killed or captured a variety of species of creepy crawlies and labeled them kissing bugs. V.G. Truscott of Kent, Kansas captured a centipede. A man in Brooklyn captured a pinch bug, which is presumably an earwig. Thomas Fee of Lowell, Massachusetts, killed some sort of insect as long as his forefinger and streaked with yellow, which was probably some variety of beetle, which he identified as a kissing bug, and something called a walnut bug was captured in Pennsylvania. Most unbelievably, a hummingbird was captured in New York and declared to be the bug. Other sources seem to indicate that the summer of 1899 was a bad one for mosquitoes. A delegation of mosquitoes, millions in number, visited Chicago. A high concentration of biting insects would certainly heighten the panic already being felt. Other sources indicate that crickets, too, were much more plentiful than normal that summer. Vast herds have made their appearance in the city. Depots and other public buildings have been covered with them the past few nights. Another possibility, one which to me is the most likely, is that the origins of the panic lay in Chagas disease. Several species of assassin bug can play host to the parasitic organism that produces the disease, although most of them exist in the border states and further south throughout Mexico and South America. It's possible that a warmer summer allowed assassin bugs infested with the parasite to range further north than usual. I'm tempted to wonder whether soldiers returning from the Spanish-American War and disturbances in the Philippines could have brought some infected bugs home with them, stationed as they would have been in regions where Chagas was common. Chagas disease causes inflammation, headaches, and fever, and painful swelling into bites location. It can lurk in a person's system for decades, slowly causing damage to the heart and eventually death, or the afflicted individual can never develop any more symptoms beyond the initial discomfort. This makes me kind of interested to see the death certificates of all the people during the panic who were supposedly bitten by kissing bugs but didn't die, to see, you know, how many of them eventually died of heart-related ailments. An old man named Drobik from Arizona told of the kissing bug, which was locally known as a wallapai tiger. There are a good many of wallapai tigers. They have a habit of crawling into blankets. You won't feel them at work, but the next morning you will find bumps the size of walnuts where they have stung you. First time I heard about the wallapai tiger was at the Golden Gem Mine in the Surbot Mountains, then operated by A.W. Clapp. June, July, and August are the months in which those insects are most obnoxious in Arizona, said Clapp. Another old-timer, Jerry Loudermilk, had a run-in with a wallapai tiger in Arizona. At Kirkland, while on a long hiking trip, he was bitten on the upper lip. A large, hard swelling about the size of a half-dollar developed, and Jerry took to a hotel bed for two days, suffering from fever, weakness, and nausea. All these symptoms are consistent with early symptoms of Chagas. That, then, is my contention, that the kissing bug phenomenon was a hysteria at the heart of it all, but one very much based on a real bug that was actually biting people, just wasn't, maybe, 
quite so widespread as the media would have had you believe. The instances of deaths recorded are interesting in that they are all very small children or the previously ill, people who would have had weakened or immature immune systems, one in which a relative nuisance could have developed into a deadly condition relatively quickly. And that's the end of this episode. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so, until next time, this is Andrew, signing off.